I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Dr. David Borelli. He's a physician on a mission to improve medical decision-making for seniors through several different projects. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. so much for joining uh, Death by Design podcast today. I'm really excited to have you on. I'm excited to be with you. Thank you, Kimberly. So David, when did you become interested in becoming a physician? Well, I was actually an art major in college. So I left uh, high school really not knowing what I wanted to do. And I remember very clearly my mom filling out my college application. I wanted to take a year off and just travel around for a bit. But because I happened to have been a good artist, she got me into art school. And uh, it wasn't until the second year that I took an anatomy elective. And I remember very clearly sitting down in class. And as soon as those anatomy slides went up, I thought, "Uh aha, this is it. Oh, wow. It was that quick. You knew. That was it was that quick. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was within an hour. I just decided I remember walking over to administration and trying to get my major changed. And um, it took me it took me a while to finish undergrad because I started at SUNY uh, Purchase and then moved over to Santa Cruz and uh, but finally finished with a Bachelor of Arts and then on to medical school. Well, are you still involved with the, the arts, though? Do, are you still an artist? Um, no, no. So, so, uh, I think, you know, at some point in time, I'll, I'll go back to it. You know, I've picked up, um, instruments here and there, and I've been playing a little bit of music here and there, but, uh, no visual arts, but, um, it, it's nice to have a balance. Even though you're probably not practicing art, artistry or, you know, drawing or, or painting, I, I still think you might think use a different part of your brain to even to look at, you know, how we approach end of life in a more creative way. So I think, I, I think that maybe it's still playing a role in your life. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think there's a little bit of evidence out there and I, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, well versed in all of this that suggests that, that the, these people that are into um, liberal arts and, and visual arts um, may make better doctors. <laughs> it's huh. a, it's a, a loaded comment, but because um, uh, we, we, there tends to be a little bit more of a well-rounded perspective um, on the patient, um, those interested in, in um, the humanism of medicine and so on. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I know we've talked earlier and, and there's a lot of things going on and you have your hands in a lot of different areas, but I love to talk to physicians about how they became interested in what they are actually doing. And you have uh, interest in geriatrics and end of life, and you also are a part of New Jersey Goals of Care. So how, do, how did you become interested in this whole sort of geriatric end of life? Well, it really evolved um, over a period of, I guess, maybe five to 10 years. And and beginning with my experience at Mount Sinai, I trained in geriatrics at Mount Sinai in New York. And and as you may know, that's an important center for geriatric education and end-of-life education. So uh, it, it began there. Um, when you were in medical school, did you did you think that you would end up in geriatrics or end of life care? I didn't actually. You know, I entered medical school uh, thinking I would be a pediatric surgeon of all things, 
uh, and, oh, wow. uh, and, and soon, soon, pretty early into my internship year after medical school, you'll do one year of internship and then residency training. Uh, I chose geriatrics as a field of study. Wow. And, you know, and it's something that tugs at my heart when it comes to, uh, individuals in their later years. It just, I have a really keen connection um, with uh, individuals in their 80s. And I just love ha having conversations. So I can only imagine as a physician what it's like caring for them. And, yeah. And, you know, a lot of geriatricians have this experience of having, having grown up or lived with an elder. And, and that was my case. So I grew up with my grandfather in the household. And, and, and maybe in some pathologic way, I feel reunited with him when I'm with older adults. But uh, it's given me, um, I think it's given me the, um, at least patience and, and uh, interest in, in working with older adults. Well, that's a really cool story. Like, that's really cool. You know, and I find that so many people have somewhere in their lives a connection with uh, an experience or a person that really kind of reflects what they're doing in the present day. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So let me, you have your hands in a lot of things and you, you are doing so many things that support improving medical decisions for seniors. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, Goals of Care New Jersey and, and how did this nonprofit, nonprofit evolve? So New Jersey Goals of Care is a, is a nonprofit that we started several years ago uh, that is really focused on improving medical decision making, specifically for those people entering into a final phase of life. And it really was a response to me reading about uh, the Dartmouth Atlas. And, and some of your listeners may be aware of the Dartmouth Atlas is an online publication that measures variations in healthcare utilization across the United States. So you can go to the Dartmouth Atlas and you can look up your hospital and compare it to a neighboring hospital or your state and compare it to a neighboring state or the East Coast or the West Coast. And what they've been able to demonstrate over and over, very interestingly, is that in regions of high spending uh, in the United States, the health outcomes are worse. And in regions of low spending, um, the health outcomes are better. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But specifically, when I read about New Jersey, it turns out that if you're a senior in New Jersey uh, during your final months of life, you'll spend more days in the hospital, more days in the intensive care unit, see more specialists and more Medicare dollars spent than in any other state. Oh, wow. So I was just stunned when I read that. And when I moved to the state and I, you know, I was in academics for a while and private practice, it, I was really struck by this, this discord that existed at the bedside where the doctors were doing one thing and the patient or family members wanted another. Um, and, and, and that's really the genesis of, of goals of care. Oh, wow. So what are some of your objectives that you hope to obtain through goals of care? I, I, and I've read a little bit about uh, goals of care. You have like a four-step model. That's right. Yeah. So one of the, I think, primary pitfalls, I think, here with when it comes to end-of-life care is that the, 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 our practice model, which is essentially just a two-step model of step one, what's the diagnosis? Step two, what's the treatment for that diagnosis? So diagnose, treat, diagnose, treat. And, and this is what I learned in medical school and residency training, you know, you learn everything there is to know about making the diagnosis of heart failure and everything there is to know about treating heart failure, but no one teaches you about prognostication and heart failure and what's going to happen next and how to communicate those things. So, so goals of care is making an effort to move the decision-making model to, from the, from the two steps to a, um, 
more patient-centered four-step model. And it's as follows. So number one, what is the diagnosis? Number two, what is the prognosis or best case scenario? And then importantly, step three, what are the personal goals of care for that person in the context of this prognosis? And then step four, how do we treat to achieve those particular goals? So that's, that's the model that we've been promoting through goals of care. And we've had a lot of uh, grants and projects over the years, and we have penetrated the, the residency training uh, curricula here in the state. We've had a few nice projects with the doctors in training, um, and we're looking forward to the future. So what is the overall mission of goals of care? The mission really is to, is to transform medical decision-making at the bedside so that it allows, uh, that it, uh, it, it aligns, I should say, personal goals of care with available therapies. And now this year is a really exciting year for us because we're pivoting a bit or expanding a bit and forming a coalition uh, for uh, end-of-life care across the state. So like many other states, we're banding together. There are a lot of Good efforts, um, uh, very important efforts um, across the state to improve end-of-life care and senior care in New Jersey, but they're, um, they're in silos. So we're getting together with the New Jersey Hospital Association, with the Medical Society, and very other, various other groups to form a coalition. So it's a more concerted uh, effort. And don't you think co- what coalitions do is you start talking in say, you know the same language, which spreads throughout the entire state, is one of the biggest factors coalitions do is because we talk about so many things and we use so many different words to describe the same thing. And coalitions kind of come around and simplify it and push this common language out there throughout the state. And I'm really proud of New Jersey for taking that uh, next step. I mean, are, how, how are you involved with this coalition? Well, I'm I'm the founder of of New Jersey Goals of Care, and now we found an executive director to head the um, to head the coalition. And I'll I'll step back and just be the medical director and help with some of the content. I have a day job, you know. I have my practice here. And, <laughs> I was just uh, wondering, little, like, little, how do you do it all? Little, <laughs> Little tiny Tim to feed at home and so on. So there's, uh, there's, um, you know, I, I have my day job that I'll keep, and and we've we've raised some money thus far, and we'll be applying for more grants, and and it's on the move. It's on the move. So we're building a really good team. The coalition is one of the main projects in your focus um, for 2018. Correct. Yeah. You know, you're also involved with another program that I met you at SeaTac this past uh, fall 2017 um, in Washington, D.C., and you're a part of this other interesting uh, program called Your Care Plan. Can you tell us a little bit about this program as well? Right. Yeah. Your Care Plan is, is actually a private venture um, that I'm doing with some friends and colleagues in, in the area. And it's essentially a video guided tool that helps that helps structure the conversation. And you know what I mean by the conversation, this end of life care conversation about what people want and don't want. And very specifically, it helps with uh, pulsed form completion. Um, uh, for your listeners, pulsed is P-O-L-S-T. It's practitioner orders for life sustaining treatment. 
And most people know what a living will is or advanced directive. A pulse form is similar to that, but it's an actionable medical order that a, a doctor or practitioner fills out that specifies exactly what you want and don't want during that final phase. So it offers it offers a, a, a kind of structure to having that conversation because doctors, you know, we're, we're you know this doctors um, we're not well trained in having this conversation. We're uh, we don't have the time or the skill set. And it's uh, uncomfortable for us. Now, is this more focused at healthcare individuals who are working in the healthcare environment, or can this be also for the community too? Right. Yeah, this is really something that's deployed or used by a healthcare professional because a pulse form is, an, is a medical order. It's got to be completed by a doctor or um, a nurse practitioner. So it isn't like a living will that you could, you know, uh, print out online and have a notary sign or something like that. So it is for the healthcare professional. And also just to reference some of this pulsed and most um, there, they are similar forms, but really look at what your state is having. And these forms go into a lot more detail um, and should be done, you know, by a physician, but also includes, you know, a conversation with the patient um, of what you might want. It kind of helps direct and expands that living will um, and ask certain questions that um, could be plausible at the end of life. So I really encourage people to look up, you know, your state, what is your state using? And if your state does not have one of these post or most forms, really come together and talk to your physician and try to get these um, this movement to expand the living will to some of these more detailed forms. So, And that's Pulse.org is the national website, Pulse.org. And folks can go there and find uh, their state and find the um, Pulse or most forms for their state. As a physician, um, I, I, I'm assuming that you've used this form, Pulse. Um, how, as a physician, is it different um, using this than just, you know, a living will for you as a professional? Does it help you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and it's particularly important because, like I mentioned, it's an actionable medical order. So um, it's, it's, for example, if someone has a living will, and all adults should have a living will. Um, Kimberly, do you have a living will? I sure do. Okay. Well, I, I sure do. Yeah. So, 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 so we should all have one, and, and regardless of our health, the pulsed form though is really built for and intended for that person entering into a final phase of life, into the final year or, or two or so. And 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 it's important because the living will is not an actionable medical order. So, for example, if someone is at home with uh, a terminal illness, let's say metastatic cancer and so on, and and their their spouse calls nine one one for any reason and they show up and they find uh, they find a person on the kitchen floor with no pulse no they're not breathing the wife holds up the living will or advanced directive and it reads to provide comfort during the final phase well those first responders can't act off of that document and in most state laws require them to actually initiate CPR which is kind of absurd if they have yeah and most will have some common sense and they'll call the ER doc and they'll get some instruction uh, from them that, you know yes we can allow a peaceful death here and we'll not intubate them but most are obligated to perform CPR and that's because the living will is not an actionable medical document it's got to be interpreted by the medical staff or the physician on the other hand, the pulsed form 
is a is a actionable order that by law must be followed and it transcends medical boundaries so you could have a for those um frail or at home and entering into a final phase that can have their pulse form on their refrigerator door in a um, accessible spot uh, and it's an actionable order there out in the community it's um actionable in the in an ambulance or in a nursing home or in the er and so it, it becomes really, really an important document for those people in a final phase. And maybe, and I, I don't know if the listeners are aware of a DNR, which is do not resuscitate. It's like a golden yellow form, but maybe it's better for us to talk a little bit about, you know, it's a DNR, but it's also has a lot more detail in that. Is that, is that a better way instead of a living will? Is that a better way to kind of preference that because it is, this is where I love when you clarified it. it. These forms are for those with a serious illness. Right. And it is for those people entering a final phase. And most forms ask um, specific questions, not only about re- resuscitation, what to do when the heart stops, but also artificial nutrition and hydration. Would you want a feeding tube? Things like that. Antibiotics. And whether to, re- re- whether to return back to the hospital. Yeah. And antibiotics is on some of the forms also. Um, whether to return back to the hospital. Some people have very clear preferences about not going back to the hospital. That can be on the pulse form. And it's unfortunate a lot of people don't realize that they have these options and uh, don't realize that the, the, you know, the default of the medical community, right, is to do everything we possibly can to prevent death. So um, we will rush you off to the hospital. We will do CPR. We will you know, be providing these interventions unless we receive instruction otherwise. And it's such a challenging conversation. Like I mentioned, we're, we're not well instructed on, on, uh, on how to structure this conversation, um, how to help people with medical decision making. We're, we're wired to continue treating and so on. So it's, it's difficult for doctors to pause and, and have these conversations. And that's what the Your Care Plan tool, just to plug it a bit, does. It helps structure this conversation for the practitioner. So this video, it's sort of a lean back approach where you can watch these videos together, the practitioner and the decision maker, and then make decisions based on um, the video video guide. And these forms are fairly new. And so, of course, me being in hospice for so long, I always ask my physicians, you know, have you heard about the most form? And, And I am quite surprised that many people in my area in North Carolina are still unaware about some of these forms. And that's why I think your, you know, your care plan is focused and happy that it's focused on educating even the physicians that, hey, this form is out there. Yeah. And that's the nifty thing about this. There is this hidden curricula uh, embedded in this um, in this video tool that that is essentially structuring the conversation. That's encouraging um, uh, the conversation to begin with the prognosis and and what what to expect moving forward, and then. Uh, encourage decisions to be made um, specifically on what the personal goals are within the context of that prognosis, right? And then, and then um, the 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 decision maker go ahead and and completes the form, and the the practitioner can print out the form and upload it into the electronic medical record or send it off uh, to other family members and doctors and so on. Oh wow! And and the great thing is your care plan is it can be national. You can use this resource wherever you are. Um, if you're in the healthcare world, I mean, goals of care, New Jersey is 
um, what you're involved is is a little bit more focused on New Jersey. Um, but you also could, if people are interested in doing some things that you guys are doing, innovative things in New Jersey, they can give you a call and, and learn more about that, correct? Absolutely. And so tell me, tell me exactly how people can find your care plan. And if you're living in the state of New Jersey, also goals of care. So I know it's it's t- kind of two separate things. I don't want to confuse sure. anybody, but sure. but I just want to give people options to learn more about what you guys are doing. Yep. So the um, the um, the New Jersey uh, uh, coalition uh, that we're doing is, is essentially called Goals of Care Coalition, and it's goalsofcare.org. And uh, people, residents of New Jersey or, or non-residents of New Jersey, for that matter, can go and learn about um, what we're doing here and what our efforts have been thus far. And we also have some really nice um, videos in the in the library there on medical decision making and the four-step model. So that's for anyone to go and look at. But um, there are some videos that are very specific on the New Jersey Pulse form. Um, people can go in and learn about the New Jersey Pulse form, and um, and even print it out and bring it into their doctor's office. Uh, the the Your Care Plan. Um, uh, is uh, as the private venture that that is a national effort, and that's um, yourcareplan.com. Uh, well, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have met you, and I'm so excited about what New Jersey is doing, and also this national um, reach with your care plan to get individuals working in the healthcare environment more engaged in learning more about what's out there at end of life. So, David, I can't thank you so much for what you're doing and c- taking the time out of your busy day. I know you're uh, still a full-time physician out there in a hospital in New Jersey, So, but th- these things are very exciting. And it takes people like you who have a passion for changing how people are facing end of life. Um, and that one person can do that. And I believe uh, deep down that you are that person in New Jersey. And I just I, I tip my hat off, you know, to you for being involved and having a passion for caring for people at end of life. Well, thanks, Kimberly, and, and, and hats off to you, too. I mean, your efforts are really fantastic and, and everyone appreciates what you're doing here. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully on the road trip with this book tour coming up, maybe we'll come face to face again and talk a little bit more specifically about what New Jersey is continuing to do um, that that other states can learn from. So I hope you have a great day and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.